after 400 years, 400, we get a little squirrely over if a couple of days have gone past. I get a little squirrely the fact that the, we haven't been able to do something with a building for four years. And we're, we're talking 400 years. The people of, of God are sitting in a foreign land called Egypt and generation upon generations are rising up and here after 400 years God says now it is time to bring his people out of Egypt and take them back to Canaan to the promised land that he had shown Abraham 400 years prior. But for God to do that in his way and his timing he had to prepare a deliverer to help bring his people out. Now, it's really fascinating. Could God move his people out with any, without any use of any person? Of course he could. But he chooses to use people like you and I to be prepared and a calling on your life to do a great work for him. And Moses is no different. God had to take a man named Moses that we saw last, last couple of chapters, right in the beginning, Here's a man that was raised up, a Hebrew boy, who was supposed to be dead. But miraculously saved his life in the river that was supposed to take his life. But it was through that being in an ark in that river that Pharaoh's daughter uh, sees him. And then God uses that, that way to bring him up in security and prosperity and all the, 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 the luxuries of what life could offer him. Power, position, prestige, should have been probably Pharaoh if people believe he was being groomed to be Pharaoh. But that's not what God had planned for. God used him at this time, at this place, in this family to do one work. And then he had to take him, as we saw, he ends up rising up, he responds out of emotion, he responds out of uh, uh, this impromptu moment of, of, of emotion to say, and takes out the life of a man of Egypt, an Egyptian man. Not only did he take out the Egyptian uh, man's life, but he also, if you remember, he came in and he acted like he was over the people of he the Hebrews, and these two Hebrew brothers were uh, fighting, and he tried to intervene there, and that, that didn't go well at all, and he realized the word got out that he killed this Egyptian and tried to bury him in the sand. And that wasn't going to happen. So he had to flee for his life, if you remember, to the desert of Median, where he met a Hebrew family, Ruel, or what we will see today in chapter 3, verse 1. His name also was named Jethro, which I believe is a title, not his name, because it, it means excellence. But here we are, regardless if you call it Ruel or call him Jethro. We'll call him Jethro today since it's in our scriptures today. He gets married to Sipporah, one of the daughters. And then we see in chapter 2, verse 22, he, they have a son named Jersum, or Jersum, which means I, am, means I am a stranger in this foreign land. Well, we find the story continues. Here he is at 40 years of age, running for his life. Now we're in the story where he's at 80 years of age. 40 years have passed. And now he is ready 
that God had put a calling on his life to be the, the, a vessel, the deliverer that he would use to bring his people out. He now has to take him to the desert to be a shepherd, to have nothing to his name. He, he doesn't even own his own sheep that he's shepherding over. He's doing it for his father-in-law. It's his, it's his sheep. And he has nothing to his name. He's out there in the wilderness, and he's doing this for 40 years. And now we see in our story today that God shows up and is going to reveal and get Moses' attention. Watch how radical this, 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 this message is today in, in chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the prince of Median. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, look at this verse 2. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So we see here in the very first part, some interesting circumstances we find here Moses in. We see Moses is sitting there tending to the flock. He's 80 years old. This is his life. He's just waiting to die. This is all the purpose I have in life. This is it. And then God shows up. How does he show up? Well, he shows up here at this mountain of God that is referred to as Horeb, here at the back of the desert. This would be probably this what we call Mount Sinai here, is what more, uh, Horeb is, near that uh, Sinai Peninsula area that we know of today. Horeb probably means desert or desolation. And it speaks to the terrain and the environment and the lifestyle this man Moses is now living. One of prestige and just luxury and everyone beckoned to his only call. To now a man has nothing and is looked down upon as the worst uh, occupation you could ever have at that time was a, sh a shepherd. Look at what I look like in here in this part of my life. And now look what happened over here. I smell. I look bad. I have nothing. And I'm sitting out here watching sheep. This was God's will for his life in the first 40 years. And this is his God's will for his life for the next 40 years. And we will see as the story continues, his last 40 years, meaning he dies at 120 years of age, he, God takes him into another season of life of 40 years, and that is God's will. So yes, remember, that we're speaking to us today as well. You had a season of life, then God has, may have taken you into a new season of life, and he'll take you possibly into another season of life until he calls us home. But if you're in the will of God, just focusing and be willing to do what God's called you to do, regardless of that season, you're in the will of God. He thought he was ready at 40. I've arrived. Everything's perfect. God has it all played out. I'm in position, power, resources, and I look good, I smell good, and everyone looks up to me. Of course God is going to use me now. 
But that's not how God works. One of the things you'll learn in ministry is he always uses someone who's already busy, who's already working, already doing something, already consumed by your time of stuff that you're already doing work-wise. That's who God calls us to do his work. Not someone who's sitting around going, I don't know what to do and I'm not doing anything. He doesn't use people like that. Typically. But he uses someone who's already busy and sometimes people have to be prepared to do the great work that God wants to do in your life. So, so many times people say, of course, I'm young, I'm 40, here we go, let's take this. We're going to do great work for God. And then you can become 80 and you say, I'm tired. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resources. I don't, you come up with all kinds of objections and excuses of why you can't serve God. Well, I hope today is encouraging you if you're even remotely coming near 40, and if you're just slightly over 40, you can be used by God, regardless of the age or regardless of the resources or the, uh, or the positions you find yourself in today. So here's Moses. He's in the desert. He's doing his thing as, an, uh, as a, his, his hired help to his father-in-law, the prince of Median there, Jethro. And God chooses to show up. He shows up in a bush, or the angel Lord appeared in the midst of the bush, and the bush didn't even get consumed. The bush is burning, but not being consumed. It causes this alluring effect of Moses to pay attention and get his attention of what's taking place around him at that moment in time. And it drew him closer, we see in the scripture, to the point where we see in verse 3, Moses is talking to himself. He's been talking to sheep. Now we see he's talking to himself, which is encouraging to me because sometimes I talk to myself. He's like, Lord, what are we doing here, right? So Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this gray sight. Why, I, why the bush does not burn. Now in the scripture... We know that this, this mountain that he's referring to, that is, that's Mount Sinai. We also know in the scriptures that this Mount Sinai becomes very significant. We know that God is showing up here in a bush as fire. And fire in the scripture is referred to the presence of God. And we see it again later on in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18. God will show up and descend upon Mount Sinai once again, remember. So we see that in Scripture. So as we watch these details like fire and, and those kind of things, just know it represents the presence of God. So what happens? Verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, Moses was like, what is going on over there? God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And how did Moses respond? What, what can you say with something like this is happening? He said, here I am. Now about you. You're just walking and you're just doing your normal thing, doing shepherd work. In this land, and you're looking for wolves and you're looking for bears. You're not, you're not, the last thing you're looking for is a bush that is burning but not burning. 
And he gets his attention and he draws, God draws him to the bush. But notice that once he got Moses' attention, that's when God speaks to Moses. It's the same thing that happens to you and I. If you're just about doing your thing, you're just working hard, going about your day, raising a family, going through the, all kinds of life circumstances, but you really are not doing anything for the Lord. You're just kind of going through life. I assure you God will get your attention somehow. I don't know if it'll be a burning bush. Amazing if it is. God has really got a good, doing a great work through your life. It's going to be something, and I hope it's not the burning down of your, your kingdom that you've created. However God gets your attention, he'll get your attention, and then he'll speak to you. The question is, what will you do when he speaks to you? Will you say, here I am, or will you ignore the voice? <laughs> Don't, don't ignore his voice when he speaks to you. So what happens? We, we see, here I am. Verse 5, then he said, God says, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. That's what happens. God gets your attention somehow. You get your attention somehow. And you get to a place where he gets your attention and he speaks your name and he gets your attention. And he speaks to you by his word. And it might be the fact that he says to you your name twice. When he says something twice in the scripture, back to back, like Moses, Moses, that means you're to take note of what about he's about to say. Where else in the scriptures have we seen that? We saw it in Abraham. 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 That's how he got Abraham's attention. Right? Well, how about in, in, in 1 Samuel? Samuel. Samuel. How about Martha? Martha in Luke. How about Simeon? Simeon, also in Luke. How about Saul? Saul, in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, I think. And each time he says the name and repeats that name, it's a, look at what happens after he speaks the, the name, and then he gives clear direction to the calling that they have for his, their lives to what he wants them to do. Now, it's interesting, God's burning message here to Moses here was at this mountain, was at the same time and will be the same place, I should say, where God will give him the law as well. We'll see that in chapter 19 of Exodus and also lined out in chapter uh, 24. But the burning bush was a incredible phenomenon that's happening right now that catches Moses' attention Changes what he was doing, but then God, then once he has his attention, his word speaks to him personally. And he takes note that the angel of the Lord, Jesus 
appears in his pre-incarnation as we've seen in the Old Testament as well. We saw that in Genesis chapter 16 verses 7 through 13 and we will see it when we get to the book of Judges three times in there where the angel of the Lord, the Jesus himself in pre-incarnation comes and speaks to, to the people. The person of Jesus Christ showing up here in the bush to declare what he has Moses to do. Now, he says to him, do not draw near this place. Don't come too close. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. I am in the presence. It shows this the humility and the respect of keeping the distance there in regards to where he's at in, uh, in sandals, where he, he takes them off to represent the humbleness. Like he has nothing to offer. His poverty, he has nothing to offer. He's just humbly coming with no, with no sandals on. Just like a, a person in need. We also see that as you study the scriptures in the tabernacle, the ta uh, the uh, the um, tabernacle or the um, the um, yeah tabernacle, where if you go back and you study the scriptures and they'll describe the getup that the priests had to wear. It describes the hat. It describes every little detail. Do you notice what detail does not is not des uh, described for them? There is no. Shoes. There's no sandals in that description. Why? Because they too had to come and enter into the presence of God with no sandals. They had to come in barefoot and come into the presence. Even many cultures have that today, do they not? When you come to their house, take your shoes off. You're coming in. Not it's holy ground, but it comes from that culture of understanding of, of respect and awe of what you're coming into. But he says this to to Moses into the fact that he's going to come into this immediate presence of God and, uh, and that you're coming into God's space. You're coming into this and you're just respectfully and humbly coming into that space that God's called them to do. Now, think about Moses. Here's an incredible burning message directly given to him. He's been a shepherd for 40 years. He's just kind of going along life, raising a family, doing this. He thought God had a calling in his life, and then God put him into become a shepherd for all these years. And I thought this was what God had in my life to plan for my life. But then I've been doing that for so long. What is God going to do in my life this day? Yeah, I mean, those things happen in our own minds, do they not? But as we wait patiently upon God and, and continue, you'll see him show up. Because if he has a calling on your life, he'll prepare you for that moment according to the way he would like to prepare you. And then all of a sudden, the timing is it. And all of a sudden, he speaks to you and reveals himself. This is what I need you to do now. And you're ready. Now, you may not feel like you're ready, just like Moses will, <laughs> Moses will come about. But nevertheless... Here he is, Moses. What is his responses? Finally, God, you finally come out and, and finally you're going to use me? No. He humbly and he hid his face because he knew. Can you imagine for 40 years? Oh, if I didn't kill that Egyptian man. 
if I didn't get involved with the two Hebrew guys, if I just would have done things differently, if I would have did this and it would have did this, and if I wouldn't have gone here, but I would, should I have not run? Maybe I should have run to the desert. I should have stayed there and just taken it by faith and trusted that God could, could have bring me through that. All of these things could happen in Moses' mind. All we can see is that here, he's, here is a humbled man covering up his face because he realized he could not look upon God, let alone get any, just boldly can, can come too close to him. This man is humbled. This man now is ready to be used by God. God uses humbled people, not prideful people. People that need to rely upon God for everything to do what he's called you to do. That you have nothing. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You, Moses is at a point now in his, his life, he recognizes he ha can do nothing. Absolutely nothing for God. But what happens? That is the perfect time where then now God says, perfect, I, you're exactly where I need you to be at 80 years of age. And then in verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the, that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression in which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow. Can you imagine Moses? He's sitting there, I cannot believe with my own eyes, and I'm going to hide my eyes because I recognize him in the presence of God, and I, I should, this should not be happening for me. That God would speak to me, and then just, I don't even know how to handle this. But then God immediately doesn't even really respond to Moses. He goes right into what he wants him to do, Moses to do, for him. And what is it? I have, I have seen and I have heard my people's cries and sorrows and pain and suffering and slavery. I have seen and heard it all. I've seen what this government's doing to my people. I see the persecution coming upon my people. Nothing escapes our God's eyes or of his hearing. He sees everything that everybody or anybody, including the government, the most powerful governments, coming against his people, he sees. And he hears our cries. And he sees the persecutions. And he says to Moses, don't forget 
just like I told the patriarchs, the, your fathers before him, before you, I am going to bring them out of Egypt and I'm taking them to a land he describes as good and large land, uh, to a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that is going to be so agriculturally prosperous for you that your sheep, your goats, your cows will feast. It will produce so much milk and cheese and all that goodness. You will not go without. And the land, the rolling hills will be filled with flowers and the bees will be buzzing and the honey that is so valuable to you that day will be plentiful. It'll be sweet. Sweet for you. That's what's going to happen. That's what I'm going to do. Now, if you're Moses, you're hiding your face. You can't believe what's going on, and this is really happening. You're sitting going, I'm tracking with you, God. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. This is super. I thought this was going to happen 40 years ago, but this is happening now. This is an awesome moment. Until he said, and you, Moses, are the one I'm going to use to do it. <laughs> How does Moses respond to that moment? I was tracking with you, God, on all of this until you told me that it's me that's going. You know, that happens today, does it not, in the ministry? Oh, we're praying for you, and we're praying for the North Country. We're praying for the, you know, the deeps of uh, Africa and the jungles here. And oh, we're praying for all of you. Until then, God says to you, you're the one actually going to the jungle. <laughs> and there's like, no. <laughs> I didn't pray for the North Country, you know. <laughs> what a great sense of humor you have, God. You have to be talking to someone else at this moment in time. Do you know it snows there? You know it gets cold there. And you thought it was just Moses, or just you. And Moses happened to Moses too here. It says, I've come down to deliver them, God says in verse 8. And now God in verse 10 says, Come now, therefore, I will send you. Now, God could have delivered his people again by himself. He didn't need to use anyone or let alone use Moses. But God in his wisdom uses and chooses to rely on human instruments to, to fulfill his purposes. I know. I, I try to get my head around that many times. Why God would use us to do his work. To accomplish his purpose. But he does. And it's just the way it is. Now how does, how does uh, Moses respond to this calling on his life? <laughs> that you're the one that's going to be the one you use to go deliver my people out of Egypt. We're going to see five objections. Five excuses from Moses why he can't do what God just told him he needed to do. Now remember, 40 years ago, he, that young man would have jumped for the opportunity because he thought he already arrived. Of course God's going to use me. Now as a humbled, broken man, God says, now I'm going to use you. And his response is excuses? 
objections? We're going to see two today. Next time we pick up in chapter 4, in the first 17 verses, we'll see the other three. But let's just take two today for the sake of time. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So his first objection or excuse is, I don't have the ability to do that. I'm a nobody here. I used to be somebody. You raised me up to be somebody. Now you've put me in another 40 years in the desert, and I've been t I realize I'm a nobody. I used to think I'm a somebody, but now I realize I'm a nobody. But that is when we will see in the last 40 years of his life how God can take a nobody and make him a somebody because he's doing the work through his life. See, you have to understand that it applies to you and I today. When you get to the point where you realize you're a sinful person, a wicked sinful person, but has been saved by the grace of God, and that you are just broken and humbled and just a simple life that's willing to be used by God, by his God's grace. And it's he'll get all the glory and honor. And when you're at that point, that's when God can use you. Because you're out of the way of yourself. And you realize God is, by his grace, is willing to use you for his purpose and plan. It's just amazing. Amazing grace. So he came up with the first excuse. I lack of ability. I don't, I'm nobody. I'm a shepherd now. I have nothing to my name. I serve my father-in-law just because I'm sure my dad, I'm sure my my wife, his daughter, made sure I was employed, you know, <laughs> to keep going out here in the desert. But, you know, he's as simple as nothing here. But as God continues. And we see here in the scriptures that he brings them to a point. Who am I? God didn't even really answer that. But he noticed what, how God answers the actual, the question that, Paul, that, that Moses is really saying here. Is you say to me, Moses, you lack ability and you're a nobody. But look at what God's response in verse 12. So he said to Moses, I will certainly be with you. And this, this, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So how did God answer the first objection? He says, Moses, don't worry. I will be with you. You're, you think you're a nobody and you have no ability, but with me you have all the ability and you are somebody. Because I'm going to do the work. It's my people and I'm going to bring my people out of here. I'm just going to use you as a vessel to do this with me. Now it's interesting. As we take a look at this, that God promised the people two things, if you remember. He promised that he was going to deliver his people out of Egypt. And there's a second part of that. Not only am I going to take my people out of Egypt, 
I'm actually going to take them and bring them into the new land that I have. I'm the, the land of milk and honey. But if you notice the commission or the calling that he told Moses what he's going to do, notice what he says to them at the end of verse 12. That he is going to use him to just the first part to bring them out to Egypt. He did not say to Moses that he's going to use him to bring them into the new land. Why? Because we know in Deuteronomy 32 verses 48 through 52 that Moses, because of his spontaneous and lack of self-control moment in the desert, disqualifies him to go into the promised land. And God, in his foreknowledge, knew that Moses was going to do that. And that's why he told him right up front, you're going to just bring him out of the land. He did not give him the promise and calling to take him into the land, and he doesn't go. So then how does, then how does Moses respond here? Verse 13, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children, so now he's going to give a second objection. The, the first objection was overruled. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to do the work through you. So that doesn't work for me. So he comes up with another objection excuse why he, he can't do what God's called him to do. He says, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, now here's his response to that objection. I am whom, who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So, second objection. What is it? I have no authority to go to these people now as a shepherd and being gone for 40 years. They don't know me. They have no authority. How can I show up and say, I'm your deliverer. I'm the one that's going to lead you out of Egypt into this, uh, this, this land, this wonderful land of, uh, of uh, milk and honey. I don't even know your name. I don't even know who you are. Because they're going to ask me, who's 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 this God you're talking about that's telling you this? Because we know in the scriptures what happens all the way through Genesis when we studied Genesis. We saw that God revealed himself by his name, did he not? When he saw Abraham, if you remember back in Genesis 14, 22, when he, he encountered even Melchizedek, and he called on the God most high. And then when he later encountered in Genesis 17, 1, what did he say? Almighty God. Then we saw in Genesis 21 and 22, we saw two more names that God revealed Abraham to. He was the everlasting God. And he's also the Lord will provide God. See, God comes and he reveals himself and he says, whatever your need is, I'm your God. Regardless of your need. It could be needs that no one else knows in your head. Only you know you're in your head. The needs that you have. And you've tried to fulfill your needs. You tried to do it the worldly way. You tried to do it the fleshly way. But have you come to God and asked and present your needs to him? Because he does hear he does see those cries and groans. 
and he will be the God you need him to be for your need. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you trust him? Whatever that need is. That's what he's saying to Moses. I am who I am. The name here, I am, is all complete. It reveals something of so of, of importance of who he is. There is no equal to the name I am. This name I am, who I am, is connected to the name Yahweh. And then it's this consistent clause that it clearly is referenced to the name that we see through the scriptures. We see it, we saw it 160 times in Genesis. Or, yeah, through the whole book of Genesis. And the name is um, YHWH. Uh, um, uh, and it is the, it's the, the, um, the name that the Jewish people gave because it was such a sacred name that they weren't even able to pronounce or would even speak of it. So there was no vowels, only the consonants. But we see it there in our language today in your Bible the word Lord, and it's all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all capital. It's the word he's speaking here of, we refer to as Yahweh, if we add the consonants back in, or what the Hebrews would refer to as Y-H-W-H. Later on, we see Lord also written, referring to as Adonai. But the name I am has within it the idea that God is completely independent. He relies on nobody and nothing else. He is life. He is of existence. Always has and always will be. You can go back in Isaiah chapter 40 and read verses 28 and 29. Go to John chapter 5 and read verses 20, verse 26. God is eternal. He is unchanging. Life is in himself. That's why we know apart from him, we have no life. You may think you have a life. You're just existing. You might be in this, that season of life where Abraham, um, well, even Abraham, but Moses was in the desert going, what is the purpose of life? What is there, what's going to happen to my life? Am I just going to do what I'm doing and work my life and then die and that's it? If you're there and that's what's speaking to your heart today, no, that's not what life is all about. Your life is about doing what God has called you and prepared you to do for him. With, with great anticipation of when he'll take you home to be with him. We see the scriptures here, even in the New Testament, where Jesus speaks to who he is. He says, I am. Jesus himself, the Savior, I am. I am what? Well, it depends what your need is, right? If you're sitting here finding yourself um, in darkness, you don't have clarity of what's, what your purpose in life is, and you're in this dark state of your life. Jesus says, come to me because I am the light. I will be your light if you're living in darkness and you're just stumbling along life. What happens if you're in need, you're hungry, you're destitute, maybe you're homeless. You, 
Whatever state you're finding yourself, you're just hungry. You just feel like you're starving. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I can meet your hunger needs. How about if you're feeling insecure today? Hopeless. Vulnerable. Wandering. You're not sure what, what's going to happen in life. Jesus says in the scriptures that I am the good shepherd. And I will protect you. Regardless of how you feel, I will protect you if you'll just trust me. I'll give you some key scriptures today I think you should ponder on. Where this divine name, I am, is given. It's clear. It's just like as clear as the voice that spoke to Moses at this moment in time. That Jesus spoke in the New Testament for even for us today. John 8, 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe I am he. You will die in your sins. Do you know that? If you don't believe that Jesus is I am, God in the flesh, you're going to die in your sins. John 8, 28. Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. In John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John 13, 19. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. And then one of my favorites is John 18, verses 4 through 6. You know the story. Jesus and his disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here he sees a coming across from the Temple Mount, what happened. Here comes and arrives and stands in front of Jesus and them there that night with Judas and the, and the arresting um, soldiers, remember. And when they arrive, what does he say to them when they arrive? Whom are you seeking? Jesus said to them. And they said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus responds and says, I am he. But it doesn't end there. It ends in those verses there as Judas who portrayed him also stood with them, and now when he, Jesus, said to them, I am he, what happened? They were blue, they were drawn back, they were just fell over to the ground. The power of God's name just flattened them to the ground. There's power in his name, the scripture tells us. 
So what happens here? What what does Moses do with this information now? Because we see that he came up with another objection, another excuse, but God responds very quickly and says, I'm not going to answer that. I'm just going to tell him. You just tell him, I am. I am who I am. It's done. It's finished. There's There's no more debate about this. Verse 15, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel. He just moved right on. Let's get back to what I've told you I'm going to use you to do. All these two excuses, not going to work with me. Let's keep moving on. Let me bring you back to what I'm going to do in your life. He says, the Lord, you're going to go to the children of Israel and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my my name forever and this is my memorial to all generations so he's saying you go back there moses and you let them know i'm the same god that spoke to their the 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 patriarchs from abraham all the way down through not a different god here i'm the same god and i am going to do this and and i'm in this bush of speaking to you and the work i'm going to do is going to speak it's going to declare my name powerful name and it's going to declare a memorial a remembrance that you'll never forget the rest of your life never forget just like as we come to communion to remember in remembrance of what jesus did on the cross we will never forget we are to never forget what our savior has done for us So what happens in verse 16? Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to him, you're going to give him a burning message here. I'm giving you a burning message, Moses. You're going to go give this burning message right over to the leaders of the the Israelites, and you're going to give that same message. You're going to be speaking to Pharaoh too. That's my plan for you, right? So, So what he says to them, the Lord God, your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. So God is telling Moses to tell them that God showed up and visited him and saw what was happening to them personally. Verse 17, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites, to the land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great, people. And then they will heed your voice, Moses, right? And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him what? What's the burning message to Pharaoh? The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice or worship to the Lord our God. Burning message. Moses is getting it. He gives out two objectives, excuses. God brings them right back to the message. This is what I'm going to have you do. We're going to see in chapter 4, Three more complaints that he gives that God's going to have to deal with. But right now, he's after two objectives. God has given the answers to those objectives, and he gives him a plan. You're going to go give this burning message to the leaders of Israel and let them know that I've visited him. I see all these things. I know what's going on, and it's now time to leave this place you've had called home for 400 years. Now it's time for you to go. And they may not have wanted to go. Did you realize that? We always assume, of course, they were waiting 400 years to leave. No. 
They had everything there. Yes, they were slaves. They were being worked to death and, and, and everything else. But it's amazing. When God says you don't have to be under the impression of slavery, it's amazing how people won't get up and move and change. God says to you, you're under the slavery of your sin and bondage, but how many people say, I'll stay in my bondage of sin versus giving my life to Jesus and being free? I don't understand it. I understood it when I was a sinner, but now as a, being someone who's saved and know the grace of God and say, everyone can be saved, and I'm looking going, I'm telling you there's an answer. I didn't know the answer for, for 20 plus years of my life. And then someone came to me and got my, God got my attention, broke me, lost everything. Now I hear my name through the word of God. You need to give your life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ. I'm now free. How could not everybody hear and come to that same saving grace? But it happens every day. I would say, you don't have to be in slavery of the bondage of your sin. You could be free. Why don't you want to be free? Why do you want to stay there? And we'll see it played out in our story, don't we, in Exodus. Because Moses will be used by God to bring them out into the desert. And what happens in the desert? They complained and wanted to go back to the slavery and bondage because they didn't grow and understand who God is and who he can be for you. And so we can continue here that the burning message after they give it to the Israelites and to the, the, to the people, then the, the Israelite, the leadership, the elders were supposed to go with, with, uh, with Moses and they were to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh this burning message. And it was a simple message. Let us go three days journey into the wilderness. Why? So that we can sacrifice to the Lord our God. We want to worship our God. Now, Pharaoh understood that. They worship many gods. So that wasn't unrealistic. They wanted to go worship their god. But the interesting part is, is they wanted to take two to three million people. <laughs> we just want to take the two or three hundred million, two to three million people that were happened to be here, and we just want to go three days into to get away to a mountaintop experience. Or out to the wilderness to have quiet time to be with the Lord. Or, <laughs> you know, we do that same thing, don't we? We say, oh, I just want to get away from this rat race. And we need to take a vacation. We've got to get away and just spend time with the Lord and, and just sacrifice. And there you are. Are you sacrificing, worshiping God? Or are you on the slope skiing and, and, and at, the, at the tropics at the beach and going scuba diving and everything else? I mean, what is the reason why you're going on vacation? If you're going on vacation, go on vacation. But don't say you're going to go there so you can sacrifice and worship God. You know, Don't fool yourself. Go on vacation if you're going on vacation. But if you want to get away and just spend God, time with God, and then go and spend time with God. Now what they didn't tell Pharaoh is that, oh, by the way, we're not coming back. <laughs> we're going to go three days journey to get a, like a head start on you. But we're not coming back. He didn't, they didn't tell him that part of the story. They just told him that they were going just three days out to worship God. And maybe he, that will be palatable to Pharaoh. We're going to go worship God. Just need to get away. 
What happens? We finish up here with verses 19 through 22. But I am sure, this is God speaking, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. He's basically saying, hey, Moses, you're going to go and you're going to give the burning message to Pharaoh. He's going to hear it and there is no way he's going to let you go. Based on letting you go, simply go worship God, all two to three million of you to go at one time to the three days journey to go worship your God. He's not going to go for that. I know that. So I'm going to come in, I'm going to stretch out my hand. <laughs> so that's all it takes for God to t- wipe out a, an entire nation is to stretch out his hand. Our God is mighty. And I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders. We know what those wonders are, don't we? We call them the what? The ten plagues. God says they're wonders, and they are wonders. But when you're receiving those wonders, and you're a hatred of God, you hate God, you don't like anything of God's people and don't like God, they're not wonders to you. They're actually plagues. They're sufferings to you. And I will do that in the midst, and everyone will know it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people, and I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. I'm going to change the heart and the mindset of the Egyptians toward his people of Israel. Why would he do that? How does he do that? I don't know how, he, except he can change the mind. And what does he do? And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed. Verse 22, but every woman shall ask her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and you shall, pl- shall plunder the Egyptians. God knew right from the very beginning how Pharaoh was going to play this out. How God, Pharaoh was going to respond to the message, the burning message, and how, what it will take to accomplish God's burning message. And he was going to take these plagues, these calamities to come, and he was going to engineer, engineer them and orchestrate them and bring them back, bring about some this sequence of events it's not some haphazard god just oh i'm not sure what to do here i'm i'm just no god knew exactly what he needed to do and when we get there we'll spend the time to study it because it's a fascinating study of the these plagues and calamities that god brings upon the egyptians to get their attention specifically pharaoh but notice here that as he stretches out his hand in the future here, in the meantime, he's going to first change the way the Egyptian people think about the Israelites in the land. And he's asking the Hebrew women to go to their neighbors, the women next door and around them, and they're to go there. And what does it say? 
It says, as they go there, who dwells there near her house, they're going to ask and they're going to just receive. They're just going to show up and these people, the Egyptian women, are just going to start handing them silver, gold, and clothing. How did that happen? Can you picture it? Martha, you won't believe what's about to happen. God is going to take us. We're going to some place that's large land with milk and honey. It's going to be great. We have no idea, but we're supposed to come and knock on your door. Okay. And here, here's silver. Here's my gold. Here's the clothes. And you can see the mother. Okay, Johnny, get up here. I don't know if that's a Hebrew name. But whatever the kids' names are. Kids, kids stand right here. As they hand it to me, I'm just going to put the clothes on you. And I'm going to put the silverware. Silverware the silver on you, and I'm going to put the gold on you. And here's the kids walking back home. Dad, you won't believe. Why? Because we know in the scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, God says that when you're a slave and you've been now set free and your time of service is done, is complete, you shall not let that slave go away empty-handed. They have been slaves for all these years. And God says, they're done being slaves, they're going to be free, and they're not going empty-handed. And God gives them all the money and resources available that's needed to survive in the desert that God was taking them to, and also all of the silver and gold that was needed to create the what? The tabernacle. To have all the elements of the tabernacle that God will show us what exactly they were to make with that gold, with that silver, and have the clothes to, to live. And God is already preparing. They didn't steal this stuff. They didn't manipulate this stuff. God changed the hearts of the Egyptian families and they freely gave it to God's people, to go and do what God's called them to do. Isn't it amazing? It is amazing when you really think this through and take the time to read it through. How God takes burning this burning message to Moses. The Israelite leaders and the people, and even to Pharaoh, to accomplish his purpose for his people that he said he would do. Next week, again, we'll pick up chapter 4. We'll see some complaints coming from Moses still. He's not quite bought into it all. But the question I leave with you today, what burning message is the Lord speaking to you personally? What has he called you to do? How is he preparing you? Are you allowing him to prepare you to be a vessel to be used by God? And are you willing to do it? Are you willing to go are you willing to do what God's called you to do? Or are you coming with all kinds of excuses why you can't serve him? All these objectives, are you coming up to serve him? Don't be like Moses. Just be willing to serve your Savior. Amen?